Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the Be There in Five podcast. That song you just heard by the Russian girl group, well, duo, Tattoo, T-A-T-U, I believe it's lowercase T, uppercase A, lowercase T, uppercase U. Very important distinction. That was all the things she said, also known as, in my lifetime, the first time I was aware in real time of a solid lesbian anthem. And you know what's funny is that like it was so controversial at the time. And I remember like the video got banned. And I mean, it's what's so crazy. It's like the world is flooded with other love songs. And you, you can't have a girl have feelings for another girl. Come on. I am I'm glad at the progress we've made in the world today and hope we continue to do so because this is a great song. And I picked it for several reasons that I'm hoping I will get to throughout. I'll, I'll tie back to throughout the episode. And you know what's also funny is I was just thinking about how when I was in third grade, third or fourth grade, I might have been young. I was really young. A girl in my class told me that she was a lesbian. And I honestly, I was so, I had no prejudice, clean slate. I was like, cool. And then I told my friend, but as like, uh, 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 for no motive other than just to relay information I had just heard. And the school day passes. Apparently my friend told a friend who told a friend who told a friend and literally the entire grade found out. They called in every single person to the principal's office one by one who had to tell them who told them. And uh, who did it ultimately come back to as the source? This gal. I had never been called to the principal's office in my life. I never got called in the principal's office after. I've been vocal about my fears of getting in trouble. And I will never forget being called into the principal's office. Because to me, I mean, I was, I was trembling. Like, to a person that's scared of authority, yeah, sure, there's cops, there's the CIA, the FBI, uh, there's Interpol. <laughs> but those have nothing on the faculty and staff of a K-12 through public school. Those people scared the crap out of me. They, I don't know why. I don't, I, I guess because, you know... All the other authorities I haven't really brushed with, but I I could really, you know, see the tangible threat of a detention, a suspension, something of the like. And from a very young age, I've had nightmares about being accused of a crime I didn't commit. And, you know, I don't think this helped because this is my first taste of doing something innocent that I didn't know was bad. And me being told it was bad and then being like too afraid to ever talk again. I was just like, I was so scared. And I went in and I saw my friend who I had told. And she looked at me like, oh my God, I'm so sorry. And I was like, you know, you know what? I had these people that are so scary and so powerful it's in the midst of the greater world interrogated me. I too would have, you know, Claire Danes, Brody, Homeland interrogation room. I would have just spilled my guts. And that was a weird example because they slept together. That was weird. Claire Danes in Homeland, watching her for her brow move and strain, it gives me a headache. I want to Botox it so bad, but I know that her, her exclusively the space from her like the bridge of her nose to her hairline is her mug. Like that 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 is her career right there. And I feel the same way about Amelia Clark from. Um, What's it called Game of Thrones? I don't watch Game of Thrones. Again, saving that for a surgery. But when I watch her talk, her eyebrows fully invert like a cartoon character. And it, I get a headache watching that too because I try to do, I think I like watch and try to do it with my eyebrows and don't realize it. And then my head feels funny. Anyway, what was I talking about? Homeland? 
Speaking of that, that SNL skit's like one of the most accurate, best SNL skits of all time. What, when they did a parody of season one of Homeland. I also think the Serial podcast SNL skit is really good and a classic too. Those are just like two spot on impressions that really, you know, help the franchise because it's really hit or miss for like, I don't know, the past 10 years. The glory days, I feel like, were the 2001 election. Your Will Ferrells, your Daryl Hammonds, your Tinas, your Amys, you know, that, that, that to me was the glory days of SNL, but I'm sure everybody, you know, people older than me would say that about Gilda Radner and co, and people younger than me would say that about Andy Samberg. Anyway, okay, we just got real off topic. Uh, um, I know that this is supposed to be symptomatic of um, Carrie Matheson's bipolar disorder, that she makes those crazy dry erase board terrorism maps with like all the post-its and the string. But that's totally something I would do. And I'm not manic, and I swear I'm not bipolar. I just um, love to crack a case. So, well, they threw my housewife's graph or an infographic I just made for myself of what people said their favorite memory of this podcast was in order to get into our private Facebook group or my uh, sleuthing about Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss's involvement, which, by the way, I finally put on Patreon. If you go to patreon.com slash be there in five, P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com slash be there in five, F-I-V-E, not the number. I I have a bonus episodes, so but you have to pay a dollar a month because they take me time to do and I don't have sponsors. And it's just like a fun thing to do for people that want to support me in the podcast. A long time ago, I promised I put up a Taylor Swift one. I had not gotten around to it. So there's about like a 40 or 50 minute analysis of um, Taylor Swift's romantic linkage to a variety of suitors. And um, yeah, I talk about b- mostly Carly Kloss and Diana Agron. I'm told it's interesting. The first 15 minutes are rough. It takes me a while to get my footing, but I'm not a journalist. So and hence, that's why I don't put it on the regular iTunes, because like it's really just me uh, regurgitating a bunch of stuff I read online, which is irresponsible at best. But anywho, yeah, and that, that's another reason Tattoo, all the things she said is important, because even though the, the woman from Tattoo, the band, she says this is actually based on a dream she had at a dentist appointment. This could also, you know, relate to other types of dreams, such as, you know, in the middle of the night, in my dreams, you should see the things we do, baby. In the middle of the night, in my dreams, I know I'm going to be with you, so I take my time. Are you ready for it? Also, say you'll remember me sitting in a nice dress staring at the sunset, babe, in your wildest dreams. Also, James Dean daydream look in your eye. Red lip classic thing that you like. Also... Mm, missing something big here. Ah, darling, I'm a nightmare dressed like a daydream. I wonder if I could keep going. She really uses a lot of the same motifs. You know, not saying the word dream is a dead giveaway, but, uh, you know, why do you have to just be with someone in your dreams when you can be with them in real life? Oh, wait, because people like my elementary school principal make you think that by relaying information about somebody, liking other women as being something horrible to say. But I think that's what was striking to me. And then I never forgot is that I was sitting there getting reprimanded for relaying information, true information. And I I totally understand how they need to be careful. Like it it goes both ways. Like you don't want to shame somebody who knows at a young age who's telling you not as a secret, but just frankly, as a fact, that's how it was presented to me. But you also need to make sure kids aren't using it in a derogatory form. So I can understand them pursuing the latter, but she wasn't denying it. And she like, it was this 
I was like, that's what she said. And she's like, yeah, that's what I said. And it, it was like the weirdest. It was truly a weird situation. I've, I really have thought about this throughout the years being like, God, I feel horrible. Anyway, long story short, I just looked her up. And she has a beautiful wife and a blossoming career and looks incredibly happy. And indeed, ended up being, ended up with a woman. And I think that's pretty amazing that my recollection of her telling that to me very confidently when we were in elementary school. It's very telling of, you know, people being in and knowing their truth from a very young age. And uh, as Taylor Swift said at the Reputation World Tour, she saluted very specifically everyone who was brave enough to come out in their own time, in their own way, despite fearing an adverse reaction from society. It was it was interesting. I know not all of you subscribe to Patreon, but I talk about this at length. And at the beginning of Reputation, in the leaflet, she specifically says all of the speculation about the men that these songs are about and the slideshows online are all going to be wrong. And I, you only know the side of me that I've chosen to show you. And she basically says, you know nothing about me. You don't know who these songs are about. It, it, I mean, true. Like, it, could, it just, I don't know. It's in plain sight. I'm sorry. It is. I sound like Ramona <laughs> with manic apologies. Um, but anyway... That's what I think is interesting when people vehemently deny or seem offended online by the killer theorists or the just the idea that um, Taylor Swift has had media boyfriends and all this. It's like, well, you being offended is kind of a problem because it's not a bad thing. The people behind the whole theory, their point is they think she's made it clear that like she, for whatever reason, uh, is not comfortable coming out and they're normalizing the theory because she de- never confirms or denies any theories romantically. Um, and everyone she dates has like a mutually beneficial public thing going on. Like again, Joe Owen has, he has not been in anything. He's maybe in like one or two supporting roles. He has four movies coming out this year, four in 2018. Like he had something to gain. Uh, the, the, whatever get on patreon if you want to hear i just think um i just feel badly like listening to her the reputation tour she was just like i don't know this speech was like so emotional and i i was like oh my god i'm just worried that she thinks she would lose fans or people would hate her and i was like no people wouldn't accuse you of lying because everyone has to do their own thing in their own time in their own way as she said and i think she'd inspire a lot of people but anyway, I don't want to sound like a flat earther. Like, I'm not crazy, but there's just like a really strong Rolodex of events, coincidences, and information tying her to a myriad of people and di- untying her from the people we think she dates because they never take the same planes anywhere. They ride in separate cars when commercials go on. They drop hands. They don't speak. It's all a show. I don't know. Just listen to Dancing With Our Hands tie then get back to me. And I'm not saying she doesn't date Joe. She might. I think she dates a lot of like different people. I'm just saying, I think she's been telling us that it's both men and women. And I think that if you listen to the song Wonderland off the bonus tracks of 1989 that has never been performed live, and you listen to the lyrics that say, flashing lights and we took a wrong turn and we fell down a rabbit hole, Diana Agron, uh, her Twitter, her Tumblr handle used to be at down the rabbit hole, but when this theory came out, she deleted it. And then it talks about how, in the end, we all went mad. She has a tattoo that says, we're all mad here. Alice in Wonderland, I guess, is openly her favorite movie. Don't, I'm not like a Diana Agron diehard. These are all things I read on the internet. The lyrics also say, didn't they, 
Tell us, don't rush into things. Didn't you flash your green eyes at me? She has green eyes. Haven't you heard what becomes of curious minds? Didn't it all seem new and exciting? I mean, truly, this song is, it's like, so we went on our way to in love to think straight. All alone or as it seemed, but there were strangers watching and whispers turned to talking and talking turned to screams. Um, it's, she has so many songs like this from like 1989 in Red that when you look deeper, she's really talking about secrecy in a different sense than we, I think, are interpreting it. Because she's a genius. She's playing chestnut checkers. She knows exactly what she's doing with these songs. And for her to have, like, a, you know, best friend, Diana, for, like, that was going strong for a solid year. They tweeted each other. They were together nonstop. They were photographed together. They had fans of seeing the movies together. I just don't... I think Taylor Swift is aware that by writing a song about Wonderland her best friend's favorite movie with green eyes who has a tattoo in the lyrics, a Tumblr handle in the lyrics, a mention of the word straight and or crooked several times, a mention of uh, people talking several times and um, to never play it live and for it to be a bonus track. It's just like, she knows people are going to speculate about that. And if she wants to bait us, so we'll talk great. I'm talking, I'm having a great time. It's been a very enjoyable thing for me to research over the years. But all of that paired with a dramatic falling out just seems like a bit much for me. Anyways, I'm sorry to anybody who listened to that on Patreon. Um, but I had like a bunch of people messaging me about the episode and that like they t- tried to talk to people about it and people are so dismissive. And I'm like, it's funny that people are so dismissive. It's not like, a, again, it's not like a crazy Illuminati sort of thing. It's just like, no, there's a lot of coincidences that point to her friends in romantic contexts in songs. And that's just, it is what it is. Okay, I'll stop now. I will not bring this up again. Because <laughs> I don't think I'll ever be proven right or wrong. And again, it's not me. A lot of publications have talked about this. this I'm, not, I'm not outing anybody. I am just reporting what I have read at length on a, from a variety of sources, including like BuzzFeed. They do like listicles about this stuff. And it's just kind of buried. I don't know. Anywho, um, one other reason besides tattoo, a forbidden video about... Uh, Love between two women, besides my third grade story that was way too drawn out. But again, I was so happy to see on Facebook that she's happy. And that, like, that's just, that was like a grateful circle moment where I felt at peace in that. I hope, if anything, in third grade, I am hoping I responded in a way that didn't make her feel inferior or weird or strange. Because the way I remember it, I really didn't think about it. I was just kind of, you know, being me, Nancy Drew. Uh, a regular noopsie, the town gossip. And I was like, Kyo, can I go tell Ashla? Probably was my response. <laughs> um, but anyways, back to tattoo. I want to talk about America's favorite couple with the best couple name of all time who are inexplicably getting multiple tattoos of, with each other's names on them, which is grandson, Ariana Grande and Pete Davidson. Two people I would have never put together, especially the second person who I would have never expected to be talking about on this podcast. I've discussed this on Instagram here and there. I was kind of waiting to see how it played out. I am so confused. I normally have like a very, you know, strong, albeit baseless opinion about these things and who is or isn't fake or not. But I cannot figure these two out because... In the span of a month, as we know, they went from dating to engaged. Ariana, for a couple of years, was with Mac Miller, the guy she collaborated on way back in the day um, with the song The Way. 
He was with Cassie David, Larry David's daughter, for a couple years, who is awesome and funny and uh, spoke out about how um, she was supportive through Pete Davidson um, getting diagnosed with borderline personality disorder. And as far as we know, they were together until mid-May. Well, let me back up for a second. So we know that they met in September 2014 uh, when she was on SNL for the first time. That was also Pete Davidson's debut on SNL. He's like one of the youngest cast members ever. Um, And then the next time she was on SNL was in March 2016. He appears in her opening monologue. So we know they knew each other. Between then and now, there's like no trace of their interaction. They were both in other relationships. But on May 10th, Ariana Grande confirmed her split with Mac Miller. And then on May 12th, there was an SNL after party where Ariana Grande was photographed with Pete Davidson's phone case, which is like a giant cloud. Then on May 16th, Pete confirms his breakup with Cassie, his girlfriend of two years. And then on May 17th, he gets his tattoo of Cassie covered. A little bit weird. So then on May 20th at the Billboard Music Awards, he is spotted backstage at the Billboard Music Awards. And I think at this time, we still weren't totally sure what was going on because the tattoo, it was like a cartoon of Cassie's face, but then he covered it up with like the woods. And then I think retrospectively, people saw him at the BBMAs. But then on May 21st, the day after, fans start to notice that they have matching tattoos. So despite being a week into their relationship that they have not yet confirmed, they have matching cloud tattoos on their but regardless, people are like, well, that's interesting. She was photographed with the cloud, cloud phone. They both have cloud tattoos. They both just announced their breakups, and he was seen backstage. And then the rumors start to swirl a little bit more, and they both have these interesting, like, back-to-back clapback moments. So Ariana Grande, um, fans were, like, trolling her because Mac Miller, her ex, got a DUI, and people were blaming her, him, her for him drinking, drinking and driving, which is ridiculous. So she's like, I'm not responsible for his sobriety. Leave me alone. And then when they, the relationship seemed to be going kind of fast, I think people kind of, you know, relating impulse to Pete's borderline personality disorder. I think there was a lot of dialogue on Twitter and such about him, ta- you know, taking this relationship too fast or whatever. And he claps back, basically being like, you can't say people with BPD can't be in relationships. It, it does not mean I can't be happy. It doesn't mean I'm toxic. It, it, it was actually a pretty solid monologue. And actually an important thing, I think somebody who actually suffers from the disorder should be talking about, because I don't think it's as widely discussed as a lot of other mental illnesses. And I think there's a lot of misinformation and yeah, I'm hardcore judging the decision to get tattoos a weekend, but I don't think that's, you know, necessarily a symptom of borderline personality disorder. I don't know enough to speak to it, and it's not really fair. So then they post their first picture together and make it Instagram official on May 30th, and it's like some Harry Potter joke. And, you know, if I haven't already said this, I'm nervous to say it now because... It's something you might think I'd like, but I, I just don't. I'm not a Harry Potter fan. What what do you, what do people call themselves? Like pot pot Potter potheads? Nope. Pot pot stickers? Nope. Potter Potter pans? Pot called kettle? Harry? I don't know. I would have a quibble. I'm at. Um, I I'm not a Harry Potter fan. I read the first one. I'm not like I don't do great with fantasy. 
I'm sure if I really tried, I could get into it. As you know from episode three, I once was a twihard. But that's because the vampires were more so in a real world setting. And I can relate to the disproportionate depths of emotion Bella felt for a fleeting teenage love and for somebody who was very, very bad for her. I I really liked his sparkly skin and I love to be cold. So hugging a, you know, marble statue of a half human really is an ideal scenario for me. Wizards mm, don't have an opinion. But anyway, so they post... Also, have you guys, <laughs> sorry, have you ever read um, those internet conspiracy theories about how J.K. Rowling didn't actually write Harry Potter? Hold on, let me look this up. Yeah, okay, so there's a Swedish film, no, sorry, Norwegian film director named Nina Grunfeld, who said, is it possible that a person can write six thick books that are translated into 55 languages and sell more than 250 million copies in less than 10 years? And while those numbers are impressive, I'm like, I don't know, maybe. Maybe that's why it's popular, because it's never been done before. Maybe she's somewhat of a, uh, what's it called, when people are, like, unusually good at things, a prodigy. She argued this in 2005, that her story of being inspired to write Hogwarts while stuck in a delayed train was, like, way too good to be true. And her being homeless is, like, some sort of lore meant to attract us even more to the franchise. And um, she said there's no like reasonable explanation for how she managed to write so many books in such so short of a span of time and much less for them to immediately go like into this cash cash cow of an empire and she was saying that carolyn keen who is the name that fronts the nancy drew mysteries jk rowling is a front for like uh, an industry of professionals churning out the series behind the scenes who were trying to build a literary uh, movie merchandise empire in order to make money it's you know i i talk about conspiracy theories a lot hardly ever believe them again not a flat earther not even an illuminati person like i just am obsessed with people on the internet that are obsessed with like sleuthing out things and putting together far too complicated of tiny details to build a narrative that like kind of makes sense sometimes but also when you think about the volume of activities that would need to go into it and the volume of cooperation from all involved it's impossible And I shouldn't say impossible. I talked about this on Patreon last week, too. I I believe in Occam's razor when it comes to logic, when it comes to a problem-solving principle. And Occam's razor suggests that if you have competing theories or, like, different explanations that could all reach the same answer, choose the explanation that makes the fewest assumptions. Because as you pile on assumptions, the likelihood of those things happening in isolation, much less in combination with one another, provides a very complicated explanation that, uh, generally speaking, the simplest reasoning is right. And sure, it's not a perfect theory, but I think it's like a good way to live life because I tend to overcomplicate things. I don't know. I love the pop culture ones like, oh, John Benet Ramsey is actually Katy Perry. Like, that's ridiculous. <laughs> but it's wild to read people who are so convinced of these things. And I have to say, when I first read this J.K. Rowling thing, I was like, man, if I worked as hard as she did and had a story like hers, it's just so incredible and unheard of and that I was proud of it and that people's like still thought it wasn't merited. I'd be so frustrated. But I mean, she's well known to be loaded. What are they going to just pay her 650 mil to be the cover, the, the face of it? No, I, 
I, it's, it's, it's interesting. And I think it's hard to, for people to believe that you could have that much high quality creative output. I think for writers, it's very hard. It's very hard to have multiple hits in a row. It's very hard to have an entire series. It's not only well written, but is also uh, plot wise, character development wise. It is so sound like Harry Potter. Even though I don't read it, I know that it's a respected piece of literature. I think so, at least. It's not like Fifty Shades of Grey, where we, like, I, that was that was a true crime to the English language. But anyway, whoever, I'm assuming that that um, Norwegian person is just jealous. It's like, um, she is Aviva, and J.K. Rowling is Carol. And when J.K. Rowling, after writing a masterpiece like Carol's What Remains in J.K.'s Harry Potter, she moves on to, I don't know, write a memoir. Uh, called I'm JK. Oh my God, that's awesome. <laughs> oh my God, what if her reveal memoir about her not actually writing Harry Potter was I'm JK? Like, just kidding, I didn't write that. That would be wild. You heard it here first. Um, but she goes to write this memoir and then her friend, this Norwegian person, is like jealous and then spreads a rumor that her life's, life's work was done by a ghostwriter. You know? It, it, it reads very similar to me, and I can, I can make a Real Housewives, an iconic Real Housewives argument, you know, analogous to, to truly any situation in the world. And the thought of somebody saying to J.K. Rowling, is it Rowling or Rowling? You're probably annoying, so annoyed if I've been pronouncing it wrong. Um, again, not, not a pothead, not a potter pan. Don't, don't know the right pronunciation. I don't know, I would just die if that... Norwegian woman was like on the record saying, you know, JK, use your vocabulary, writer girl. <laughs> like writer girl is one of my favorite, like pieces of Real Housewives canon. Like the, to tell, to insult somebody's vocabulary and then follow it up by an insult that's the poorest use of vocabulary is truly awesome and truly only a feat that a cast off, you know, I don't want to call her a reject, but reject Real Housewife uh, could, could pull off. No. I would be lying if I said I wasn't disenchanted with Carol's seemingly lack of work ethic. She's always missing deadlines. She's always working on one pretty simple thing and like calling her editor and being like, hee hee, sorry. Oh, did I sign a contract? Is this book due? Is, are you putting your job on the line for little old me? Oh, yeah. Can I turn it in in six months? It's just it's like weird and disrespectful and... I, I, on the one hand, I love that Carol's breezy, but on the other hand, I, I, I'm getting too cool for school vibes sometimes. And, you know, that, then we're in Erica Jane territory. And you, you, you guys know I don't like too cool for school. Though Erica was open about having her entire memoir ghostwritten because it was written by Brian Moylan, who's like a hilarious writer for Vulture that recaps all the Bravo shows. And even though, I don't know, her whole messaging of I, I'm a small town girl from Georgia. If I can do it, you can do it. I get so annoyed because I'm like, no, I can't. Your family is, is disproportionately wealthy to the rest of America. And I, I'm sorry, I just don't find you remotely relatable. I find it, I, I appreciate her angle of, you know, I, I, I bought everything on Rodeo Drive and I realized money wasn't everything and I needed experience and I wanted to use my gifts. And like, I do think that's cool. I think I'm just bitter. She gets invited to like speak on panels as if she's some self-made businesswoman. <laughs> Uh, she has a huge platform with the housewives, a huge bank account, and a huge glam squad. If I had those three things, I, I would start like a, a, a rival Kardashian 
empire, but I'm Kate Kennedy. I am, I am a double K, but like a different double K empire. And I wouldn't be making like lip kits and stuff, but I'd be doing something else like super sweet. Like, I don't know, making clothes that were old timey with zero pockets, as opposed to Kim's top from the Louis Vuitton fashion show, which I still hold strong in that she looked like a human caboodle. There are so many crevices, so many compartments. You could probably like lift up her top and slide it backwards to only find a larger basin below to hold even more of your accoutrements. And while I know that sounds like a metaphor for her large backside, it actually was truly an innocent comparison from a genuine caboodle fan. God, those things were gorgeous. I had a very like purple and teal one that kind of looked like a 1990s geo tracker with like teal racer stripes dream car and uh i need to get back on topic (laughs) um gosh guys i hate when i do this um yes so pete and ariana had just posted (laughs) their debut instagram photo on may 30th of them in harry potter costumes and then a whole swell of Harry Potter-related references, videos, and interactions on social media comments. And given that I had just seen J.K. Rowling in a photo with Taylor Swift and Adele at Taylor Swift's concert in Manchester, she was top of mind. I mean, what a what that what a dinner party that would be! Can you imagine? That is a that is a dinner party that I. Mm, I would probably, I'd probably be the wait staff at. I don't know if I'd like be at the table. Uh, that's too big of a dream. <laughs> I think uh, I would cower in the presence of that sort of talent. I would be like, I have nothing to say to you. Oh, do you want me to play heart and soul on the piano? I can do that. I can tell you about rugs. I can ramble off to you for 45 minutes about all the rumors I've heard about all of you. But I'm a nice girl. I talk about you because I like you. And I read a lot about you. And again, back to my elementary school problems. I have tr- I, I am conflicted with the notion of being an, a nice, kind, understanding person, but also having a lot of knowledge about topics that I want to share. But when I don't know if they're true or not, I feel conflicted about talking about them. And I also feel conflicted about sharing my opinions because I just have them. And half the time, I, uh, they mean nothing. <laughs> and I don't say that to speak ill of myself. You know, I just, uh, I ca- around people that are interesting, I cower. I have nothing to say. I become like a shell of a human that just like uh, softly and quietly giggles. Do you remember that character in Hey Arnold that would heavily breathe over like Helga Pataki's shoulder? Whenever I'm intimidated by people, which is 100% of the time, I just kind of start to heavily breathe. <laughs> but anyway, yes, that room was filled with uh, people in different forms of art that I really... All trades I respect greatly, unlike athletes, for example. Well, I respect the hell out of Serena Williams. Venus, too. I respect all female athletes for the most part. Serena was, like, front and center at the royal wedding. She was, like, in Megan's family. She was in that, like, bucket of people. Not bucket. Like, the, the, the pews where people could actually see stuff. She wasn't in the nosebleeds, like the, the Beckhams that looked so miserable. Victoria put no effort into her outfit or hat. Do you remember how fierce her pregnancy navy outfit and fascinated her was at at Kate's wedding? It was out of this world. Anyway, I I mean, I respect athletes. I I respect athletic talent. A hundred million percent men, man or woman. I just think they're overpaid disproportionately to like teachers who I think should get paid way, way more than people in sales do. 
So it's so astounding to me how much like people in rando corporate jobs make. Like I, I was so overpaid when I was in the corporate world relative to my contribution to the world. I mean, I didn't complain. It allowed me to start my business. Now I'm, you know, just scrounging and living off my sugar daddy. I'm just kidding. <laughs> it is weird though. I, I, I call him my sugar daddy because we're married and he pays rent. And even though that's normal, I feel weird about it. Like I really feel weird about it. Part, I, part of me wants to write him a check for half just to like, be tangibly doing my part. I, I really struggle with the merging of um, assets. It's it's kind of a, a strange shift from going from like having you know being independent your whole life, and it's it's a weird thing that I'm I'm always careful how I talk about it because I get so frustrated with the the, the Erica Janes of the world. I think I started this thought but didn't finish it earlier. She's like, yeah, I'm just a small town girl from Georgia. You know, if I can do it, you can do it. And I'm like, well, yes and no. Because what, and I'm not discounting what you did, but you you were able to do it because your husband is disproportionately wealthy to the rest of the world. And you you can take emotional risks, perhaps career risks, but they're not financial risks. And that's those are different things. And I feel like I've been vocal about that. But I I try to be careful because I'm not a single mom. I'm not uh, completely on my own. If my business went under, would my husband pay my rent? Yes. But does it really affect a family dynamic when there are not two contributors? Absolutely. When I left my job to, you know, take a much lower paying but higher fulfilling job, do I spend all my days and nights feeling anxious and freaked out about not making up that deficit? <laughs> Absolutely. It kills me. And I think that that's what you, I guess, I need to remember, too, when I'm judging other people's situations. It's like, regardless of how it looks objectively, the people are driven and motivated by different things. And even though I wouldn't be destitute should my business not work out, it also is such an important thing to me to be a contributor, to make my own money, to have an element of independence, to make fiscally responsible decisions because... I'm the one who put every dime of my savings into this. So even though I'm married now, it's still my own investment, my own time and money and risk. And um, I just, I take it so seriously. And, and so for somebody like me, when I make a bad decision, I'll just straight up run out of money and my business would have to fold. I'm not going to tap into my husband to inject a bunch of cash into something that's not working because of bad decisions I made. But if you, it doesn't matter if you have Erica Jane levels of wealth and it doesn't matter if you have athlete levels of wealth. And it's just, I don't even know where I was going with that. But yes, people in the corporate world make a lot, a lot of money for very obscure jobs that, you know, you can't, I, I don't, I never want anyone to trivialize their contribution. I was working on optimizing like television ads, but I took, I, it was so meaningful to me because I was like a diehard TV watcher my whole life. So I guess my point is JK Rowling's rich. Those tears are so is Adele. I feel uncomfortable in the presence of successful people and I lose my personality because I'm a recovering shy person. Erica Jane getting invited to speak at conferences about being an entrepreneur drives me insane. But I also acknowledge that it's hypocritical for me to say that because I'm not on my own. But I also usually caveat that for those that aren't on their own, it's not like everybody would be comfortable with, gets value out of, or sees it as a, real, a realistic option to be a kept woman or to live off of somebody else. 
I was talking to a friend about this um, last night, like the grass isn't always greener. And I think it's just important we all remember that because even though I fantasize about limitless amounts of money, I think that it can also drive people crazy because it becomes your new normal. And then your, uh, your deficit of purpose becomes all that deeper because so much of what motivates me and a lot of people is money. That's what you need to live and to have a certain lifestyle. To me, money is like what I need to be able to fly and see my family. It's to be able to share experiences with people I love. It's what I need to be able to put myself, my stuff out there in the world and do all of my projects. I don't, I was talking about this recently. Maybe it was on, um, Adrian, maybe it's on this podcast somewhere. I don't even remember, but I, I have like 15 domains. I have notebooks and notebooks of business ideas. I have all these things I want to do that I'll kind of work on and then I'll stop. And then uh, and the, the common denominator of all of them is they just need funding. They need money. They need resources. And I'm just a person that really wants to put my own money into stuff and to own stuff. And I know that doesn't make sense for a lot of industries. And I would love to meet, you know, engineers and developers and people that I could partner with that could help me, but that would, you know, be willing to uh, just... Play, hedge their bets on it working and not taking a lot up front, which I know is in a normal situation. But I think in a situation where there is a true partnership and a, t- a true uh, complement of skill sets, that makes total sense. I just, I, everyone I know and trust has my exact same skill set. And I need somebody who's like a developer, but also doesn't need a ton of me to pay them a ton of money right now. Uh, why am I even talking about this? I guess good news is if you're a person that has those skills, Call me. I, I, I really would love to, to pursue so many of these things that I actually think have potential that I've been hoarding for so long. But it's similar to how I feel about Erica Jane & Co. My concept of taking a leap was so, so different when I had a salary. And now, now I mean, these days it just feels very paralyzing um, to just to take time away from something that makes money to invest the time into something that could be making more money, but without the certainty, it drives me insane. And that's just something that wouldn't have even crossed my mind before. So it's just, it's interesting how dynamics shift and it's interesting how you can, you know, be entrepreneurial and have all these big sites, but like, I'm just not a person that's going to make, make a deck and go out and pitch investors for a nonsense pre-revenue idea. It's just not me. It's not what I want. I, I I don't like the showboats. I like I like doing the work and having the product. And I don't want to be in a startup just for the hell of it. I actually want to build stuff that like helps people and is interesting to people. Um, but I, yeah, even I don't know how. So I guess I say that as you know, even though I am an entrepreneur with an example of something that did work, I also am did the exact same boat as anyone else who's trying to start something but is paralyzed uh, by how incredibly hard the onset is to get started, to get momentum, to make tough decisions and to take the leap. It doesn't get any easier, no matter if you've done it before or not. And you still have the same problems. Even if one of your ideas makes money, you pour money back into it. And it's hard to like separate out money that that business needs to put toward another thing. You don't know if it'll work or not. And it just, it gets complicated. But uh, So anyway. I, I, in our, the Facebook group, people said that more people than I thought said they liked a little bit more talk about like business in my job. And I try, and I actively don't talk about it because I feel like it's annoying or people don't really come here to hear about that. But I mean, 
I think sometimes it's important to say because I feel so unclear sometimes about where people are in terms of if they think they're successful or if they, you know, can just be doing whatever they want, if they are, you know, truly living and don't regret a single decision they've made and da, da, da. And like, what's so funny is that the overarching theme, I, I'd be like, yeah, absolutely. Like pursue your entrepreneurial dreams. Like it's so, the, the, you can move the needle. Your impact is so much greater. Your level of fulfillment is so much greater. There's so many abstracts that are invaluable. But if I said I didn't regret every five to eight minutes leaving my corporate salary, I would be lying. <laughs> I, I, miss, I, I miss the Manny Petties. I miss the regular balayage. I miss the more frequent trips to see my parents. I miss being more charitable with money. And now all I really can give is time. But I don't even have that much time. <laughs> I, I, there's a lot of uh, perks to making money even if your nine to five isn't always super happy because when you pursue the thing that makes you allegedly happy i think you don't always realize it's making you happy in contrast to the thing you're currently doing but when the thing that makes you happy is the only thing you're doing there's an immense amount of pressure to a stay happy in it when it becomes your vocation and b to monetize that happiness into something that is sustainable that is long term and that ultimately doesn't make you resent it. It's a complicated dance and it's, it's being happy and passionate about something isn't static. It, 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 it's, it's dynamic. It changes over time. And it's really hard to see that at the beginning. And I don't say that to scare anybody. I just say that to be realistic. Moral of the story, keep your day job as long as you can and do the other thing on the side. Forgo social things, forgo certain elements of life. You'll find the time you want something done, give it to a busy person. I fully believe that you just get busy and you get super productive. And it's a really fun and interesting time. And until your business needs you so badly, don't leave your job. Don't leave your job because you don't want to be at that job so badly. Leave your job because your other business is doing so well. It, 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 your time is far better spent working on it. And you're the trade-off monetarily of you investing the time in that business then becomes worth it. Otherwise, you might be in for a very tough time. Um, and I don't think I had that tougher time until a couple years in because Be There in Five did so well, so fast, and I ran it so conservatively, and I didn't live off of any of it, that I think I perhaps didn't even realize what it meant to pay myself. And then when you pay yourself, you're like, it, it just, it changes everything. And you feel really guilty about it. And it's, it, again... I, I sit here and I'm faced with the decision of, do I put money into these businesses I want to start that could have a you know, huge payoff? Or do I take that money and go to my friend's wedding that's out of town? Like the, that's the, the, these are the types of things that make it really difficult. So it's, yes, my business makes money. It's fine. I still live like fairly similarly, but I also feel like I just didn't realize that I would treat the money I make through my own business and blood, sweat, and tears very differently than the money a third party paid me. And even if my husband made all the money in the world, I still would never feel comfortable <laughs> taking it to do whatever I wanted, wanted with it to, you know, keep on getting my uh, manicures and uh, my balayage treatments and all that crap because, I don't know, I just would feel weird. Like, if I was... 
I had his credit card and I was like spending it on all this crap that he earned it. I, cause like I, I, whatever, I'm getting myself in trouble. I, cause I, I don't have kids. I have tugboat. It's not like I'm here uh, running the household at the time he gets home and the house looks worse than when he left. <laughs> so I just don't really feel like I have the right to spend the money he worked so hard to earn, you know? That makes sense. I'm not, whatever. Okay, I gotta get off. It's tangent, gang. I, I honestly think that's a record. I think that was a full 20 minutes. Okay, I swear to God, I'm going now. Pete Harriotta, make Instagram official. Talk a ton about Harry Potter. I, I, I become lost. The world is, you know, a, a, a flutter? A stutter? The world is a... world is a... a <laughs> what? Like, what am I looking for? The world is a something. The world's, the world's super psyched about this relationship. It's, that it's confirmed, that the speculation was true. The, the, the world is confused by the timeline of them announcing their breakups and their subsequent getting together. But at this point, we don't think they're engaged. So it is May 30th. And now I enter Pete's ex, Cassie David, who posts a couple days later and says, I've been in Africa. What did I miss? And, you know, is she referencing... Thomas Jefferson and Hamilton, the first song in Act Two, because he missed the majority of the American Revolution and then was just like coming to chillax in Monticello after spending majority of the time in Paris, despite being revered as such a founding father. Um, I, uh, oh, okay. And then June 2nd, Pete gets, uh, or, or gets so bored. I just, want, I just want to be clear on this timeline. Remember, we started at May 10th, right? We're now at June 2nd. Pete gets his second Ariana Grande-related tattoo. And keep in mind, he announced his split from Cassie on May 16th. So we're only two weeks out from this. And on June 2nd, he gets a tattoo of her, like, BDSM bunny mask from Dangerous Woman. It, if, if he had gotten a uh, tattoo like that's related to her new album coming out, Sweetener, then I would have been like... Done. This is such a this is such a publicity stunt. If he gets like a little sweet and low packet, that actually sounds kind of cute. Um, she is sweet and low. She's very very small and tiny. And uh, then then the social media love fest and my sheer jealousy and borderline anger toward my husband for not you know expressing similar feelings for me on social media commences. I am J.K. Rowling. I, I I'm not comfortable with um, social media PDA because as you know. I'm skeptical of what it means. I say, you keep it sparse, you keep it cute. You stop doing it, no one suspects anything because it wasn't a high volume in the first place. Anyway, so then they go to Kanye's listening party. Post a cute photo. I actually thought Ariana's um, caption was really funny. Like, almost poking fun at her own obsession with her boyfriend. Saying, I am but a Pete Davidson update account. Stay tuned for more. Pete follows comments sometimes under a picture of the two of them. Which I actually thought was like a pretty funny caption. Because by this point, people are absolutely obsessed with this. And then they just continue to post nonstop about each other. They then go to Disneyland. They go on Space Mountain. There are photos of them going down Space Mountain. She's covering her left hand with her sweatshirt. Now, Ariana Grande loves nothing if not a almost knee-length XL, youth XL hoodie that covers both of her hands, but specifically was covering her left hand. People were really starting to speculate they were engaged. And uh, on June 12th, she starts to like Twitter statuses relating to the engagement. Then we see a video of herself singing in the car, and she has a large ring on her finger. She's always sucking a lollipop. Uh, and correct me if I'm wrong, 
I don't know this for a fact. As I mentioned in prior episodes, nobody ever invites me to do party drugs. I don't have an interest. I just want the invite. I just want to be in the room. I just want to be where the cool kids are. Alas, I always find out after what people were doing. <laughs> cool stuff. But I thought that, like, uh, lollipops were for, like, when you ever see people with lollipops, like Coachella or something, it's because they were just doing, like, Molly, and there's some reason you need to, like, suck on a lollipop, and I feel like it's so you don't swallow your own tongue, but now that I'm saying that, it sounds, like, ridiculous. I'm going to look this up after, and you guys are probably all laughing at me, being like, okay, Grandma. Um, but she just, like, I don't know, sucks way too many lollipops for a grown-ass woman. You know what makes me feel like a dangerous woman? Not like toting around a peck of blow pops. He then posts a photo of their tattooed hands, captioned saying, you know what you dream it'd be like? It's better than that. Talking about like their love. And A, like, geez, you just had a girlfriend for two years. Who's Larry David's daughter? Isn't that like every guy's dream? I mean, especially comedian's dream. And she seems cool. Um, and that's just like the sappiest caption I've ever heard. And you can see her engagement ring hand in the photo. Um... They do more and more, like, cute and kind of annoying stuff. Um, the Queer Eye casts comments on their posts at a concerning level of frequency. I, I really like Tan France. I do. But, like, why has he got to be ca- commenting on every celebrity's thing ever? I, I, part of me is wondering if these guys just are um, so astounded by their fame and can't believe that, like, famous people want to be friends with them because their show is so awesome that they are probably just, like, so excited and want to be involved. But... You know, you got to be sparse. You, you need to be more selective. The problem with the new Instagram comment thing is, like, if you comment on everyone's photos, we see it and it annoys us. And, you know, I don't know. You know how people get in, like, pods to increase engagement levels? Like, if, what if famous people are in pods? It's like, okay. Tan France, Chrissy Teigen, Diary of a Fit Mommy. All of you guys comment on everything all the time among these photos. And then the next set will be the Johns. Mayor, Stamos, Legend. And they're going to come in and all each other's stuff. I mean, honestly, it's like the same group of people all the time, plus Diary of a Fit Mommy, who was like ruining Instagram single-handedly. Back to Ariana and Pete. So next she posts, uh, much to my chagrin, she posts a picture of SpongeBob SquarePants, captioned, us in our new apartment with no furniture, one speaker, and red vines. Poor Ariana Grande. Is it really so hard? Are, are you living a pauper's life? Is it pretty tough that in your $16 million panoramic views Tribeca apartment, you only have one speaker and some red vines? Go to Dwayne Reed. You can get some salt and vinegar chips if you want to. You've got the cash. I don't feel bad for you. Yes, it's charming having your first place. But I I just, I don't know. I can't buy into the, you know, charm of your starter home when it costs $16 million. And I don't know. It's funny. Like I think I've done well for myself. But an example of the opposite of this situation is this week I hit a new low because I won a contest from a furniture company that I really like and I have stuff from and I really need dining room chairs and they were giving away dining room chairs and uh I entered you know with the I like don't ever do this but I was so excited I won I tell Greg I'm like we're getting chairs and it was for like $500, and which maybe would have bought me like two, but I'm all about mismatching chairs. Anyway, they reach out. I'm excited. Then they tell me that it's $500 off a full dining set. And I was like, well, I don't really need a full dining set, but, you know, still $500. Like, it's a lot of money. Cool. I want a giveaway. And I look at the website, and, like, a full dining set's $2,500. And, like, 
I, I'm not going to, I can't afford, like, I can't afford even two, that's $2,000 I wasn't going to spend, which isn't like a legit giveaway. So basically I entered into something I didn't even understand, I guess, or maybe I didn't read the fine print or whatever. But like, do you know how humiliating it is to turn to A, to be entering sweepstakes, giveaways, like period, as like a legitimate opportunity for yourself. I'm just kidding. That's totally, if there's a chance to win, I'm all for it. Usually there's just like no shot in hell I'd ever win. I've never even gotten a stuffed animal out of a claw machine. But to, like, enter the giveaway because I can't afford the chairs in the first place. Then to be given the giveaway and still not be able to afford the giveaway even with the steep discount. And I say that, but, like, I just, it's just not money I'm willing to spend. It's not in, of interest to me to spend that much money on something that I can get on, you know, from a myriad of other resources much less expensively, even though I would love the high-end item. Anyways, I, it's just, like, so incredibly awkward. <laughs> and it was just... For me to, to have to turn that down and be like, you got to give to somebody else. I'm very sorry. Um, but like, I've tried to collaborate with this company before because I like them. And uh, I wanted, you know, like for podcast stuff or a few other things that I've been working on. And now I think it's safe to say the, I, the nail is in that coffin because I don't think I explained it well. Because like, can I, could I buy it? Yeah. But I don't, I don't need it. So just because you gave me $500 off doesn't mean that I therefore want to spend a crap ton of money. That's just like, it's not a giveaway. A, a, a giveaway would be a gift card that I could get whatever I want. A giveaway is not a discount off a shit ton more money I have to pay to even use the giveaway. <laughs> so I didn't want to be rude, but I'm just too cheap for that. And I don't know which is worse, saying like, I can't afford it or just being like, I don't think it's worth it. I, I didn't really know how to play it, so therefore it was just awkward and I just told them I didn't want it and I just took the angle of like yeah sorry the tables are too expensive maybe someday but in doing that I realized they're never going to collab with me now because they're not <laughs> to collab with somebody you need to be like oh wow we want to come up off their success and I think I have success but I'm just not a person that's ever going to spend that much money on a dining set not now at least I just don't deserve it yet there's other places I want to spend money so anyway, in, the, in her very modest existence in her Tribeca penthouse, she then, um, she also confirms on June 17th that there's a song on her new album called Pete. Again, a sign that they did not start dating two weeks, three weeks ago. There's just no way. Okay, and then we fast forward to June 20th on The Tonight Show, which I went on and on about on Instagram, mostly about how I was so distracted by his overuse of profanity that his messaging was getting lost. I, in general, struggle with uh, comedians using taboo words as a crutch because they evoke discomfort and therefore sometimes laughter, when really I think comedians are smart people that can be tapping into their lexicon of other words, uh, can be combining words in more clever ways, can be making us laugh in ways that make us think a little bit harder than just dropping the F-bomb nonstop. And he was clearly so happy and excited. And he was so cute, but he just would not stop cursing. And he's on network TV. It's not even cable. This isn't Watch What Happens Live. And you see how Andy reams out, you know, James Kennedy and Lala Kent for saying the F-bomb on WWHL. I always think it's kind of annoying because, like, Jennifer Lawrence can, you know, drop 20 F-bombs and Andy's laughing and taking shotskis. But, you know, Tom Sandoval comes on there and is just trying to promote, you know, Let's Touch in Public by the famous Charles McMansion says, you know, the S-H-I-T word, and he gets reamed out. It just doesn't seem fair. Um, but Pete says, yeah, I feel like I want a contest. So sick. It's effing lit, Jimmy. 
I mean, when we were kids listening to God must have spent a little more time on you. Weren't we all just dreaming of the, our Prince Charming would talk about us and simply say, it's effing lit. And then fans spot that they have another ta- matching tattoo, which says the word reborn. And um, he is just, meanwhile, posting fo- like photos of her arching her back in a grassy knoll on the ocean side, saying, what the actual F, hard eyes. And then um, Seth Rogen comments, like, uh, like, enough, you guys, or something like that. And he comments back, like, if you're about to marry the hottest girl in the world, like, you know, the, what would you do, basically? I'm not, that's not an exact quote. I uh, don't remember what he said. But he's basically like, how can you blame me? She's perfect. And I agree. I mean, this, you guys know I love a pocket girl. She is, she is, she is the, in the dictionary for pocket girl. She is tiny. She is tan. She has a fierce, if not confusingly, uh, a thick ponytail of fake hair that must have a team of handlers because keeping that thing untangled, clean, propped up on her head. I'd imagine is no easy task. I, I like to think she has somebody on her payroll specifically for the ponytail. Not putting up the ponytail. That No, that's her hairdresser. I'm talking about the um, the caretaker of the hair extension itself. Anyways, long story short, you, there's more birthday posts. He talks about what a treasure she is. Most favorite person that ever existed. I love you so much. Lots of clouds, lots of lightning bolts, lots of hard eyes. Calls her an angel. Uh, she's on his back in photos because again, pocket girls can just like climb people like a tree and act like it's not no big deal. If I get on somebody's back face plant. <laughs> um, and, uh, yeah, they are 25 and 24 years old. They are young. They just both got out of very serious relationships and they're both acting in a way they never have in their previous relationships. And you would think that if they were together long term with their past partners they've experienced love before and perhaps this is a brand of love they haven't experienced perhaps they're kindred spirit soulmates there are a lot of cases where people meet and fall in love quickly and it does work what's weird about this to me is that i don't know people that are really famous are really typically really reserved and ariana has been historically pretty reserved like she goes on full long-term social media blackouts I did see her comment somewhere that, like, life is short. Why would I not, you know, shout from the rooftop, rooftops this great love I'm in? And I know, I'm sure that the Manchester bombing really, really freaked her out and changed her perspective. I mean, I, I can understand that wholeheartedly. Um, when you wake up and the worst thing that you can possibly imagine happening happens, you live your life dif- very differently afterward as a result. And... I can totally see and respect that. I guess what's just confusing for people is the timeline. It seems like they both very strategically announced the end of their relationships. And it seems like they were clearly, they clearly started dating way before, you know, May 12th or whatever, when they were at the SNL after party. Uh, Did they cheat? I don't know, care. I don't think so. I don't think that is the reason for the timeline. I think the reason for the timeline is because since... That date, when people started speculating, when they saw her with his cloud phone, she has had three single dro- singles dropped, has an album coming out, and dropped a perfume. And all I'm seeing everywhere is the stuff about the Sweetener album. Google searches about her and Pete have, like, quintupled. And that, my friends, is why, like, PR relationships exist. Like, 
whether you're promoting something or not, it just puts your name in the mouth of the media and the general public. And there is a tale there to that sort of story happening that will last you a long time that just kind of knocks you up a letter on the, you know, A to Z celebrity list, so to speak. I mean, what's so funny is people act like Z list is an insult, but like, how great to be in the alphabet, you know? Like, I, I would never even think I'd get that far. I'd be honored. Um, I, I just think that there's an Ella. I, okay, I think I've decided that I actually do think they're in love. Because if you, com- if you compare their antics to, let's say, Ashley, I, and Jared, Ariana and Pete's are cute. They're believable. And they're not annoying. Like, I'm, I'm jokingly annoyed. Because I'm like, do people really feel this way about each other or feel the need to share it to this extent about each other. But Jared and Ashley, I literally have to keep tapping. I have to swipe. I can't watch it. It hurts. It makes me cringe. It makes me sweat. It, it, it gives me a little bit of G G R D. I, I just, I don't, I, I don't understand them. And I'm, I'm concerned. Jared kisses her inner forearm all the time. And while I will say that is one of the softest, uh, it's like one of the best parts of I wish my entire like complexion head to toe was the uh, texture of my inner forearm. It just doesn't seem fair that I flip it over and it's all like bumpy and moly and Irish. But anyway, you needed to know that. <laughs> he kisses her hand and forearm all the time. He sings boy band songs. He's way too willing to be in her Instagram videos. And I just he, I just I, I just read fame whore. I think Jared quit his job as a restaurant manager in Rhode Island. Moved to L.A., got depressed, as we heard on the story of us. Didn't know what to do. Had a best friend named Ashley. She's hot. She's cool. I like her. She's vulnerable. Um, she's made a career for herself. I really don't mind her. But, uh, and the story of us was so convincing. But then, the, as time went on, I saw one too many impressed manicure ads. I saw one too many FabFitFun unboxings. I saw one too many promo on their uh, Hawaii vacation that seemed very conveniently timed. For her to be, like, now engaged on Bachelor in Paradise, to not really be showing her ring, to say you have to go to FabFitFun to see her ring, uh, the the strategy behind their relationship is so much fishier to me than the lack of strategy behind Pete and Ariana's. Pete and Ariana's is too sloppy to be orchestrated by a PR firm. Like, they... they, it's, It's almost like... You wouldn't have that sort of interaction because it isn't believable, but it's almost believable because it's like, what if you're if you don't really mean this, it's just embarrassing. And they may must just be really, really infatuated with each other. Um, and Ashley, I and Jared, oh, what I was saying earlier, I, I, I hope they're in love. I really, really do. And this is like the most cynical thing I could possibly say. And I, I acknowledge that. Is there not a part of him that after leaving her island, going to L.A., becoming depressed, having his best friend who's who is hot and great. And he got, I think, jealous when she started dating Kevin. I don't I think that was like the the uh, what's it called? The what pink elephant in the room is that he got jealous when Ashley started dating somebody else on Winter Games. Like he just wasn't saying it in the story of us. And I was like, come on, just admit it, dude. And that's fine. I think sometimes it takes extreme measures for people to change their mind. But I think he's like, OK, cool. I can get a free ring if I propose on Bachelor in Paradise. We can get a TV wedding. We can get a show like Ben and Lauren had or the twins had, and even though those are both awful, and I never watched the twins show, but I assume it was awful and it got canceled. Um, we'll get a show, and then we can break up, and then we can go on Celebrity, or like, what's it called? 
not um what Sean and Catherine did it much to my surprise it's like uh and so did Jade and Tanner marriage couples therapy was it couples therapy crap it's on VH1 couples therapy or you know celebrity rehab or whatever the heck it's called and then you know he can go back on Bachelor in Paradise to try and find love again and like he really has like by getting with Ashley he has like you know four to six TV opportunities to, you know, fund his lifestyle for the next 10 ish years. And it's not a bad business idea, but I don't think she would ever like that's what I, the where I don't understand it is that I don't think Ashley, I would ever agree to anything like that. I don't think she'd ever be part of that. I honestly think she is someone that so believes in Disney princes and fairy tales and love and boy bands and like just wants her life to be like the Jonas Brothers love bug love bug video featuring Camilla Bell of Disney's Rip Girls fame and also of Better Than Revenge, Taylor Swift's really mean song about her fame. Where is Camilla Bell now? She is the original browse of, you know, the, you know, Disney Channel original movie actresses. <laughs> I guess Brooke Shields is like the original browse, but I think Camilla Bell is, you know, a, c- a clear front runner of, of that game. In addition to, of course, Amelia Clark and Claire Danes. <laughs> Not of having thicker, stylish brows. Perhaps they're just more in the overly expressive category. But anyway... Whatever his intentions are, I think she definitely thinks it's real. I think she's just capitalizing off of it. And their best friends are Jade and Tanner, who are two of the most unapologetic hawking, hawkers of products I've ever seen in my life. For them to be like, we're trying to have another baby. We're getting hot and heavy, knocking boots, rolling in the sheets, got my Ava bracelet. So we can do the horizontal tango any minute now and I'm ovulating. It was just like, ugh. Isn't it so weird when people are like, we're trying. I'm like, gross. I didn't need to know that. Um, I mean, happy for you, but can you use another word besides trying? Or I hate when the husband's like, uh, at least we're, we're having fun in the process. I'm like, okay, again, ew, I, that's weird. And I don't know. So anyway, my point was, I don't really know what's going on with either of them. I think they're different flavors of the same thing. But Ariana and Peter are working for me more than Jared and Ashley I. And I... I feel a little bit conflicted about Ariana because I hear mixed things. On the one hand, I think she's cute as a button. I think she's bonkers talented. I I was watching, I think, the Billboard Music Awards several years ago. And on the stage comes this adorable, who I thought was a girl, in a red sequin dress and a very bouffant-like ponytail that was slicked back, however, just had one small parted side bang in the front, a look she still wears. And I was about to turn the channel. And then she starts to sing a song called Tattooed Heart. And I, my jaw was on the floor. And then they panned to the audience and their jaws were on the floor. I actually love when there's somebody performing and the other talented performers are like fixated and blown away. I think that's so cool when there's like an industry peer moment of respect. I think it was Lady Gaga they pinned to that was like standing ovation, freaking out. And I had not heard of her before because I had aged out of the Nickelodeon era where what's that? What was that show called? Cat and something. Um, But she was a child star, obviously, that started in acting. But it's like, why? Why do you even waste your time acting when you have a voice like that? And I love Tattooed Heart. It's like a really... um, it's like a doo-woppy song. It kind of has, I don't know. It, it sounds like it's from the 50s. Like it's something you'd hear at a sock hop or like that Sadie Hawkins would sing. 
Who the hell is Sadie Hawkins? She's one badass bee. She has the voice of the dance first. I'm going to look that up real quick. I feel like I need to give her a little more credit. Sadie Hawkins Day is an American folk event and pseudo-holiday originated by Al Cap's classic hillbilly comic strip Lil Abner where women asked men on a date. Okay, well, that was so disappointing. I really thought she was going to be some crusader along the lines of Marie Curie, Clara Barton, Amelia Earhart, one of the greats. She, Sadie Hawkins was the original Bumble, you know? She, she doesn't get enough credit. There should be a rival app called Hawkins. Because it's like you're hawking, like looking at stuff, people trying to decide who you want to ask to the dance. God, I'm full of good ideas. <laughs> um, but anyway, I think she's insanely talented. I think her impressions are amazing. I think I mean, when, when she first did that wheel of impressions with Jimmy Fallon that is so planned and contrived, it's so annoying. Like if he does that impression of Aaron Neville one more time, get a new impression, dude. It's almost Jimmy Fallon. I think like his rise was based on his love of being in the act and singing, but his demise was also that because it seemed like he was trying to perform too often and be the entertainment as opposed to the interviewer. And I think James Corden teeters. While I do love carpool karaoke, I think turning it into a series was a mistake. Similar to how I kind of think lip sync battle needed to remain as a segment. I get frustrated when just because something works in a certain context, people think it needs to be like a mega blowout bonanza of a bigger product. And I can't believe I just said mega blowout bonanza. I was saying on Instagram the other day that, um, what's that word? Yeah. Furniture stores, like every weird holiday that I don't celebrate, they tell me there's a bonanza and the bonanza is 10% off. Does that a bonanza make? And also, are people really buying stuff from Haynes Furniture? I feel like there's just a lot better places to get it now. There, there's Craigslist, there's OfferUp, there's Let Go. And if you don't live in a major urban area or, you know, are comfortable with the stains on strangers' items you can't see, and therefore, to me, they don't exist because it's worth to save money, uh, there's wayfair amazon ikea i mean there's just a lot of places to get furniture that is not in a matching set i just think those places really overcharge and they the the furniture doesn't even look good it's like i don't know i just don't think your dresser and your nightstands and your bed need to match i mean they can but just don't feel like they have to don't don't let those bonanza swindlers talk you into needing to buy everything for your house in one style because that is going to be very hard to resell let me tell you and that stuff is also very heavy i i mean uh, i i can never remember what i talk about on instagram or on here but one of my biggest takeaways from this rant i did about american girl dolls was i believe felicity lived in because she had a canopy bed and canopy beds are like one of those things that as in my youth seem like the lap of luxury in older age i sneeze at the thought a lot of fabric a lot of dust collection a lot of i don't know unnecessary odors and allergens collecting over the years and i suppose maybe i'm likening a canopy with the bed actually being from a more colonial era because i would see them on one of my many tours of american revolution you know war sites or Paul Revere's house or Lord, I don't know. I've, if, if there is a person in history who like did a thing, I've been to their house and seen their bed and been told I should care. 
And I did not care. And it smelled very old. And all I wanted to know was if there were ghosts there. That's if you want to get kids to historic sites. Tell them there's a little boy who likes to, you know, balance on the banister and you can see him sometimes at night because he died in the you know, early 1700s falling off the banister. That that is interesting. But anyway, after I talked about American Girls on Instagram, I could not believe how many DMs I got from people that have canopy beds. And I felt awful I, 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 for offending them. It's amazing these days how hard it is to say anything without offending somebody. And the bigger your audience gets, the more inevitable it becomes. And I hope everybody knows I'm never coming from a malicious place. Everybody has their own set of opinions based on their own experience. And it's up to me to have the discretion when to share them or not and how offensive it could be or not. And I hope the choice of upholstery on your canopy bed or having one period is not something that you hold near and dear to your heart. Because if you do, it might offend you that I'm really still like, okay, Ebenezer Scrooge, why do you got to have curtains on your bed? Have them on your windows. Aren't you spooked out that somebody's like sitting there hovering, heavy breathing? If I were in a like full drapery canopy bed, I would like poke one eye out like Ebenezer Scrooge. But the version that is, uh, I believe, Donald Duck in Mickey's Christmas Carol. And uh, just expect to see like a huge plump giant like eating plums surrounded by grapes on a gold lair outside my bed. Um, Because for some reason, a Christmas carol really haunts me. That was it was a little spooky for me. I was more partial to the, the ghost boy in Colonial Williamsburg on the dancing on the banister. Whoa, where were we? 45 minutes. Totally cash. Um, Ariana Grande. What was I talking about? Uh, Ashley, I PR. Oh, how I can't decide what to think about it. How cute she is. Tattooed heart. Me being blown away by her talent. I'm also blown away by her reaction to Manchester. Her going back there. She offered to pay funeral costs for the victims. I, I thought that was incredibly classy. And I, I, I've liked her so much more lately than I used to. That said, I've heard a lot of shady things about her. I've heard of a lot of diva behavior. And Juliana Rancic's book, Going Off Script, she... That's like the only celebrity she threw shade to. She said Ariana Grande on the red carpet asked to switch spots with Juliana, who always stands on the our right, her left. Been an entertainment reporter for like 20 years. And she was, I think Ariana Grande was like 17 or 18 at the time asking her to move. And Juliana was like, you know, you got to pay your dues, know your place. Like that, that was absurd diva behavior. And for her to interview all those celebrities for so long and to point out that, that was kind of telling to me. Um, and also I was reading, uh, I was going, reading about her and Pete on the internet and I was reading a Reddit thread that was talking about how the Hills by the weekend was written about her. And I was like, what? A, love that song. B, apparently when she was with Big Sean and, um, her and the weekend were working on this song. What was it called? Oh, love me harder. Which people on the internet were arguing that that was kind of the weekend's commercial debut, but I don't know if I agree with that. I'd have to pay closer attention to the timelines. Um, but apparently the lyrics, your man on the road, he doing promo, you said to keep our business on the low low, is about when they were collaborating and seen to get, and they were seen together like all the time when this song was made and her then boyfriend, Big Sean, was is who she was dating um so she got with i think of her backup dancer ricky immediately after she broke up with big sean then she got with mac miller immediately after after she broke up with ricky and then now she's with pete immediately after mac 
There's a lot of people that have a theory that she kind of always has somebody on the back burner, which whatever. Um, We don't really know the proper timelines of those relationships. But anyway, to kind of uh, back this up, apparently in Naya Rivera, her um, memoir, which, you know, fascinated that a critical mass of people have read that. She was a fine character on Glee, I guess. There was a time when she was coming out looking amazing, kind of like Kim Kardashian, but she's had a lot of uh, issues with her, I think, now husband. Very volatile relationship. And also, she dated Mark Salinger, which uh, we all know had a very dark secret and had a long history with child pornography, which is so creepy and so hard for me to believe you could date somebody seriously and not know about that. And if if that is possible, how alarming to live in this world. Anyway, Inaya Rivera's uh, compelling, I'm sure best-selling memoir, she says that after just six months of dating, that Sean became completely unresponsive. She was starting to see the realities of a relationship that just wasn't sexy to a rapper who wanted to have his cake and not just eat it too, but spread frosting all over the place. Oh, sorry, that was way too much. That was really gross. Again, bon appetit. I I don't like mixing food and romance. Well, I like to mix, you know, I like to go out to dinner, but I, I don't need the lyrics Katy Perry so famously penned. Got me spread like a buffet. Anyway, Naya continues to say, then when he was avoiding her, she went to his house only to find somebody on his couch. And she says, guess what little girl is sitting cross-legged on the couch listening to music? Come on, people, I'm not going to tell you, but it... But you can guess because it's not that hard. It rhymes with Smariana Smonday. If you're really having a hard time. <laughs> well, that's kind of lame. Um, but anyway, so she's implying that Ariana was the other woman with her and Big Sean's relationship. Then she cheated on Big Sean with The Weeknd. People are backing that up by The Weeknd. Apparently liked and then deleted likes, but there's screenshots of tweets that were talking badly about Ariana. I think... People look all sorts of places for proof of things. But I think Twitter likes or where the bodies are buried. People will shadily like tweets and they just get buried. And then you'll kind of go back and find them and think about them. And you're like, whoa. Like one of my big things in the um, Taylor Swift and Carly Kloss thing is like there's a major hashtag, Kaylor. And Carly's sister, Kimby, has liked over 20 of the posts throughout history and like if it was just so ridiculous and not true and or something that, I don't know, they didn't kind of want people to theorize about, then why like the posts? Unless they just think they're funny. And then there was some uh, speculation that Ariana Grande has been wearing that ring for years. She, uh, there's photos of her vaguely wearing like a large pear-shaped diamond at, at different events throughout time. And I actually don't think that's much of a smoking gun or anything. I think she's a person that gets loaned jewelry for nice events and a pear shape is a very popular cut of diamond. And that's not that unusual. And the jeweler came out saying, I think in early June, that uh, it made the ring in the past two weeks, meaning that Pete called for it to be made around May 15th. And his, uh, remember, his announcement of his breakup to Cassie was May 10th or 12th. Again, I'm forgetting the dates. So basically, the jeweler is the one that made us realize, you know, this isn't a family ring. This isn't something that he got a long time ago. He did indeed 
Order of the Ring when it there was first public speculation of them dating. And then it was announced two weeks later. So that is kind of the piece where it's like, oh, did he like meet her? They went on a couple dates and he proposed really fast. Like, is there something to this whirlwind? Or did they start dating earlier? Because what the weird part is the public narrative is that it's been a month. Um, but I don't I don't think there's any way in hell they've only been together a month. I think they chose to announce their breakups right before her album launch, right before the launch of her second single, because I do think the um, No Tears Left to Cry came out several weeks prior to this announcement. But I honestly don't think anybody was really like talking about her that much. Like, even if I look at the Google Trends graph, um, she actually let me look at it for real. Hold on one second. It's on my phone. I was looking this morning. Yeah, she's she spikes around the time the single comes out, the music video comes out, she performs um, on late night talk shows. But then when the Pete news started happening, her Google searches doubled, which for a person with the already high baseline of traffic, that is substantial. And it's crazy too, because it's not like his star powers. Crazy, you know? That's the other part is like, for a PR relationship, for something contrived, it's kind of an interesting choice. Would Pete Davidson be the first pick? I don't know. But it does kind of seem like her type. And also, I mean, I don't know. The other thing that's tough for me is... Not just the tattoos, the fast engagement, but like, if the crux of your relationship is that you're both giddy about how much you like Harry Potter, is that not a testament to the infancy of your relationship? I mean, those commonalities are what initially attract us to and help us bond with people, but I'd like to think they aren't necessarily the glue that holds us together. And if they are, then maybe I'm really missing out and maybe I'll binge read Harry Potter over the coming months. Wouldn't that be so annoying if like this turned into like a Harry Potter book? Is there anything worse than somebody getting into something like way too far after everyone else was into it and then nobody cares anymore, but all they want to do is talk about it? That'd be like if I just started watching Breaking Bad and I'd be like, you guys would not believe this guy. He he has he he has an alter ego and he 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 make he has a meth lab. And he is wearing Louis Vuitton winter 2018 styles and these boiler suits that are just so fierce and really I'm pretty sure it's a fashion show with like a little side of drama. That's what somebody today would say was just watching Breaking Bad for the first time. Um, guys, I feel like I was going to talk about a lot of other stuff besides Pete and Ariana, but the entire narrative lasted the whole hour. So maybe I'll split this up into two parts. And I cut out a piece I left in the Patreon version where I talk a little bit more about um, my weekend and grandfather, but I think I'm going to save a lot of that. There's kind of more on this topic I want to dive into. Um, I have a lot of stories about loved ones and signs and coincidences and synchronicities and things that I think are powerful and important to share. And that uh, parts of my life and experience that I love to share because I think it helps people heal who have lost people. I think it brings a great deal of peace to people that are anxious about their purpose or about the meaning of life. I, I I think it's important that we uh, tune our frequency to be open to things we can't understand. Because I know I don't want to live in a world where I understand absolutely everything and everything has a logical reasoning. That world is not exciting. It's not magical. It's not hopeful. I, if something sounds crazy, I'm okay with it. Um, and I just have, it's a topic I want to discuss. Maybe I'll do a 
kind of special offshoot episode that's a little less about pop culture. And I know I've alluded to this before. And I, every time I go to record it, I just can't. And I, I, like I said, I think you almost need to be tuned in in a certain way. And I was kind of waiting for the right time to feel like a flow with the, with the topic. Um, so, yeah, I think I'll just save that for a different day. But in having my grandfather pass away and, um, you know, just having like it's, it's just a different time. Like when you go through changes and transitions and like are forced to think about things, different things are on your mind. And I want this to be a place where I can talk about what's on my mind and not forcibly speak about topics just because they're objectively interesting. I can speak much more eloquently when it's coming from my own experience. And I feel like, yeah, some of the things are are worth sharing. And sometimes things have happened to me in life that I'm like, I feel like I don't really know what this means for myself, but it probably means something for somebody else. And it's probably worth sharing. So anywho, I'm not, I feel like I'm like, a, like um, teasing. <laughs> so like, but like, I'm not, I just, it's like, I can't get more specific without getting fully into it or else it's going to sound crazy. Anyway, um, but that's it. I will end with a song that's on theme that I did mention earlier. We started with the band Tattoo, and I want to end with the song Tattooed Heart. I want you to listen to this doo-wop Sadie Hawkins number and really enjoy it and really uh, listen to the vocal stylings of who was then a teenager. I think this voice is the voice of a legend. I'm jury still out on the personality, general vibe, their relationship decisions, etc., but talent is not something that I would question. And I also love the idea of, you know, I don't have tattoos. It's, I, I'm not really a tattoo person. Can't pull it off. Not edgy enough. Piercing my cartilage is the wildest thing I've ever done. Um, and I don't know what I'd put on myself that I like. I, I don't have, I, I changed my mind a lot. My loyalties are all over the place. And aside from getting like a ramekin of a vague dipping sauce tattoo on like my wrist, Oh, that could be kind of cute, actually. Um, I have no idea what I would put on my body that I'd be okay with forever. Like, I, I, when I'm 90, I see myself being like, okay, you still love dipping sauces. They really added a lot of value to your life. But, like, a Celtic cross or something with my Irish heritage, meh. Doesn't really do it for me. I, 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 I maybe a white tattoo. I kind of like the um, subtlety of those, especially if it's, like, for something meaningful to you. Um, but what I do like... Unless you're Pete Davidson and you cover them up. Of the metaphor of a tattoo is the permanence, is the indelible mark left on you, is something that is so deeply meaningful to you at the time, whether it lasts or not, that you feel the need to to immortalize it in some way, shape, or form. And I think that that's, in a way, beautiful. And I know after spending this past weekend celebrating my grandfather's life and hearing people cheers and tell stories about him, it's... uh was clear we all had a, a tattooed heart in a sense with his mark left on it. I hope all of you have, have somebody in your life who's been a great role model, been a great influence that has given you pride in where you come from, that has served as a reminder of uh, things greater than you, um, whether it be their philosophy on life, their faith, or their legacy, um, I think it's safe to say that for those of us that don't have, have physical, visible tattoos, there are many important, irreplaceable, indelible people that leave a mark just the same. And cheers to those people. So, as always, let me know your thoughts, and I'll let you know mine. I'll be there in five, I swear. On your tattoo.